Hey, Faith Family and Friends, Pastor Chris, and I'm excited to wrap up our series entitled, I Love My Church. I hope over these last three weeks you've been blessed. Man, we've just seen God do some great things in the midst of our church in these days. We've seen people pray some giant prayers. Uh, we've seen some people step over the line of faith and have now become Christ followers and as we finish up this series, uh, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And as you make your way there, I would just simply ask this question. Uh, what is it that you want? Now, there's somebody out there who's saying, well, what I want is Jesus. Well, I hear you. We, we want Jesus. But like, what are some things that you practically want? Like, it's okay to want some things. I mean, like, for instance, for me, uh, you know, I'd like to be taller and uh, I want to have hair, you know. Uh, I just haven't broken down about the plugs yet. I'm kind of, kind of debating that one. But no, in all seriousness, there are some things we want. Like uh, there was a few years back that I've always wanted a Jeep. And so finally, I went and I got a Jeep. And uh, now then, uh, I actually have three different Jeeps. And so everybody in my family just about drives one because we just like Jeeps. Um, maybe you want... Uh, a vacation. You're like a mom and you're just tired and you're just worn out and you just want a vacation. Or maybe uh, maybe you just want, uh, you know, you want a second home, right? Like you're at that place in life, you'd like to have a second home. Hey, some of you'd like to have a first home. I get it. Some of you'd like to have a second home. Maybe maybe you want to have children. That's great. Maybe you're a young couple. Maybe somebody struggled for a long time. You just want children. Um, maybe you just kind of want some peace and quiet, right? I don't know what you want. I really don't know what you want, but here's, here's the thing. As we wrap up this series, there are some things that I hope and pray that we want as we move forward as a church. Uh, I got one message point to drive home today, and it's simply this, different to make a difference. Say it with me, different to make a difference. As we walk through this story this morning, I want you to notice five things that I hope and pray that we as a church want. And I know that some of you, uh, are able to join us on our campus. Uh, you're just maybe away for the weekend. It's a holiday weekend. You're away for the weekend. That's wonderful. Hope you're having a great time away. Some of you, you continue to stay away because you do have some compromised health issues. I want you to know that's why we do this every single week is so that you will be able to stay connected to your faith family. I know we have people all across the country uh, and actually now even outside the country, across the world that watch us every single week. We're delighted to be your faith family. But I want you to notice with me five things I hope that we all want as we think about being different to make a difference. And so the first one is this, that you and I would have supernatural gatherings. Supernatural gatherings. Now, I know for some of you that are remote, that may be hard to do. But I do believe that even as you listen to this, and hopefully there in the context of some family, maybe some friends, that it's, there, something supernatural happens. Notice this. It says here in verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. Now, now here's the thing about that. These, these disciples were on their way to church. The temple was where they did church. They would meet in the temple, and then they would meet in a small group in a home. And, and Peter and John, I mean, they knew Jesus. I mean, they had been with Jesus. They were two of his three best friends. And so as they're making their way up, I want you to notice something. They had high expectations. You know, when we gather here on the weekends as, as a corporate body of Christ, whether, whether you're remote or whether you're here, I hope that you have high expectations. You know, we have low expectations, don't we, about so many things in life. In fact, I had this friend, his name was Todd, 
And uh, Todd was really funny because Todd got so frustrated about driving through drive-through lines to get food. Um, he, people, they were always messing up his order. It didn't matter. So Todd got to the point. I thought this was so funny. Todd would, he got to, he would drive up to the microphone and he would say, hey, uh, I got like $20. I got like four people. You're not going to get my order right. So just get me whatever you think we'll eat. And I mean, now he may have gotten some like people spitting his food too. I don't know. But I thought it was one of the funniest things I ever heard. Why? Because he had such low expectations. He just knew they were going to mess it up. I think it's that way with church. You know, when I was growing up, I got to be candid with you, uh, I didn't have a lot of things exciting happen at the church I went to. In fact, probably some of you don't know this about me, but when I was young, uh, I had a drug problem. I got drugged to church a lot. And so uh, I, I had no choice in the matter. I would go to church. I would, I would do the deal. And I remember in our church, too, we always had this order of service, and so, like, the order of service, you know, told the songs, who was going to do announcements, whatever. When I first became pastor here in Wiley, I'll never forget, we took away the order of service because we wanted to create spontaneity in our services. And uh, we had, I had a member, I had this lady who sent me just this really upset email because she says, hey, when you, when you take away the order of service, I don't have the ability to check off what's coming next. And I just thought that was so funny because here's the reality. Like, we ought to go to church with high expectations that we are going to meet the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah goes in, and, and I, this is one of those verses. It's a seminal verse in my life, and it reminds me of what we ought to expect when we encounter the living God at church. In Isaiah 6 verse 1, it says, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraph, each with six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one called to the other, saying, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah goes to pay homage to a dead king, a king named Uzziah. He was grieving. And when he gets there, he sees the king of kings. And as he, he sees this incredible picture of God on a throne, and there's these angels, and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. The foundations, it says in verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who's called, and the house was filled with smoke. And he said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, here's the thing. When we gather together, we ought to have this expectation that God is going to change some things. That the fact that God is on the property, that when my life is put in proximity of his holiness, that the weight of his holiness, which is his glory, his glory, so it says there was this smoke, it's like holy smoke, that there is a tangible effect. Could you imagine how radically different our lives would be if we would just think for ourselves, we're about to enter into the holy of holies among the one who can change us in an instant. You see, we ought to be a church that, is, that wants supernatural gatherings. See, we want to be different to make a difference. That's why God's called us from darkness into light. That's why he's redeemed us as sons and daughters of a most high king. We ought to want supernatural gatherings. But notice this, we ought to want everyone welcome. Everybody ought to be welcome. In fact, it says right here in verse 2, it says, And the man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Man, think about this. Here's this man. He had these issues. He had these physical issues. And as a result of having these physical issues, 
This man was placed every day right there at the gate, by the way, which was called beautiful, which I find irony because his life was anything but beautiful. And he was put there, why? So that he could just beg for just daily provision from the quote-unquote religious people that were going into the temple. Do you realize that if you and I are going to be the church that God wants to bless and use, we're going to have people that are hurt, beat up, we're going to have messy people. In fact, that's why the church, everybody should be welcome. Because here's what I know about everybody listening to this. You're messed up. I mean, God has taken you from something to somewhere because we were all messed up. You know, you don't have to teach little kids how to hit, do you? I mean, they just come out as little fighters. I remember a number of years ago, I was little back in the, basically middle school and freshman in high school. And I, I used to teach at this juvenile detention center. And I've told this story before, but it was so poignant to me. Because this young man came up to me, and he asked me this question. He was there in this detention center, and I was doing a Sunday morning service. And, and with tears in his eyes, he said, Can God love and forgive me because I murdered somebody? And I got to tell you, when, like, when I heard those words, I just thought to myself, Wow. I mean, this guy, he's so young. He was below the age of 18. Already killed somebody. And here's what I would tell you. The world, the, the, the most known verse in the world is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But a lot of times we forget verse 17. Because verse 17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, if we are really going to be the church, let me tell you something. We also have to take on the character of Christ, which means this. We're not a place of condemnation. Like, we've got to be willing to have people that have messy lives step into our midst. You know, I talk to our, our young student pastor, Emory, many times and often. And one of the things that is so pressing today in culture is with students is just the LGBTQ and all that goes with that. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and, and I was thinking about those, those, those people who are struggling with this. And, and I'm telling you, church, we better be ready because we're going to have to figure out how to have a biblical, compassionate response to people. And, and, and the truth of the matter is this. I think there, as much as anything, for particularly young ones, uh, like in high school, you know, that's the most bullied age there is. But yet, if you all of a sudden identify as LGBTQ and whatever, you understand it's a protected class. Like there's some kids that just don't want to be picked on. There's some kids that don't want to do that. There's some that are really struggling, but there are some that, that, that they're, they just want a place to belong, which brings me to this. In the church, we're going to have to let messy people come in and belong before they believe. We're going to have to let them come in and just belong before they believe. How are they ever going to know Christ if they don't get in, in proximity of people who are true Christ followers? I'm not talking about religious people. Now, understand belonging and condoning are two different things. There's a big difference in those things. But if someone's ever going to believe, like if someone's ever going to experience the love of Christ, how's it going to happen? It says this man, he was right there, and he was there by that temple. You see, back in this day and time, whenever you had a physical malady, a physical problem, people thought it was because you had either sinned or your parents had sinned. And so he was not allowed into the temple. Now, isn't that ironic? Here's this man in desperate need. I mean, if anybody needed to go to the temple, if anybody needed church, if anybody needed encouragement, it was this man. But the religious people said, stay out. You realize that happens still today? Like there's religious people that make, that, that make people lost, make people far from God, feel like they should stay away. For a number of years, there's a, a, a downtown restaurant called Ballard Street Cafe here in downtown Wiley. 
I went there most of the first decade I was here on Sunday mornings. There was a man, never forget this man, he grew up here in Wiley, and I guess he kind of was notorious, I don't know, I didn't grow up in Wiley. And this man, uh, every, every week, he would sit right behind me, and I'd invite him to come to church, and he would always say this, if I went over there, the roof would fall down. If I went over there, it would make some people have a heart attack, because you don't know all that I've done. And I'm like, man, here's the thing, you're exactly who we're here for. Like, we're exactly here for the, for the messy, messed up people. Why? Because we're just full of messy, messed up people. That's what the church is. But we've been changed and redeemed by Christ. And so here's what I would tell you. This man, this beggar, he was content to have the scraps from the tables of the religious people that walked by. And what God wants to give everybody is a seat at the table. You see, we are different to make a difference. You see, different to make a difference and, and I hope that we want, I hope the church wants this, that God-centeredness becomes gospel obsession. God-centeredness becomes gospel obsession. Notice what it says in verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He asked to receive money. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, you would have to imagine, here's this man. He's a beggar. He's going to have a can. And, and he's going to be rattling this can. And what he wants is alms. He wants money. And so he's rattling the can. And he's probably saying alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And all of a sudden, Peter and John come by and he says, hey, can, we have, can I have some money? And here's what's so great. He says, look at us. Now, when he says, look at us, you go, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, these were poor fishermen. These were not wealthy men. You could probably tell. They probably, the only clothes they had were the ones that they owned. And that, that was all that they really had. But, but here's the thing. These men, because they had been changed by the gospel, and their lives were now God-centered. Here's what they knew. They knew that God, they knew that Christ could change that man. You know, what does it mean to be God-centered? I, I, would, I would define it like this. God-centeredness is this. It means having God at the center of your affections and situations at all times, trusting Him for the results. One more time. God-centeredness is this. It means having God at the center of your affections and situations at all times, trusting Him for the results. So now think about this. Um, what basically, to be God-centered means this, to be satisfied with God. Like these, these, these Peter and John, they didn't have a lot, but you know what they did have? They had Jesus. And because they had Jesus, they were satisfied. Psalms 42.1 says it like this, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Don't you understand something? God-centeredness means this, I'm satisfied with God. It means that my heart longs for God in every, in every relationship, in every situation. I long for Him. Why? Because I've been changed by the good news of Christ. And so whenever I've when I'm so satisfied with who He is, I can't help but let other people know that. And, and, and so it's one of those, it's just a natural. So God-centeredness, look at this, turns into gospel obsession. But now, what's the problem? The book of Jeremiah 2, verse 13 says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've honed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns 
that cannot hold no water. So here's the thing. Basically, whenever we lose God-centeredness, here's what this means. It means we're being satisfied by lesser things. That verse right there says this, that you know, basically you and I, God's saying, hey, you have a chance to experience the living water of myself, but you've chosen to dig out your own cistern. See, this is why God-centeredness leads to gospel obsession, and this is why the gospel is a reality right now. If I were to ask you, hey, tell me about the gospel in your life. Tell me... Let me just translate it in a church speak. When did you get saved? Oh, I was five years old and I was at a vacation Bible study or a vacation Bible school or I was at a youth camp when I was 13 or I was a... There's this moment in the past that so many times we look back on and we say, yeah, that's when the quote unquote, I got the gospel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what has it caused you to do right now? Because I hope that you want, if we're going to be different to make a difference, then God-centeredness is going to lead to gospel obsession. Let me give you an example. I was talking to a friend not long ago. They raised their kid in church. You know, this kid supposedly is a Christian, and, and this kid supposedly, you know, had, had loved Jesus and all these things. And uh, he's a young 20-something. He's moved in with his girlfriend. And, you know, this guy, this, this dad says, well, you know, the times have changed. Well, you know, uh, you know, things are different. You know, kids are going to be kids. And, and, and I'm going, no, let me just tell you what you just did. You just wimped out on your kid by saying that to your kid, by accepting that. Because Jesus said this in John 14, 6, we were talking about last week. I'm the way. I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the truth. I'm the objective, unwavering, unchanging standard throughout all times. What God, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will last forever. So understand, that does not change. He says this. Um, I'm the way, that's the only way to heaven. I'm the truth, I'm the standard. So if I say it's right, it's right. If I say it's wrong, it's wrong. Doesn't matter what the culture says. And he says this, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. I'm the life. I show you what real life is. You see, what you, that man should say to his son, who's shacked up with his girlfriend, is this. I'm so disappointed that you're satisfied with so little. See, here's the bottom line. Satisfied customers always endorse the product. Satisfied customers always endorse the product. That's why some of you drive the cars you drive. That's why some of you go to the restaurants you go to. That's why you live the way you live and you go to certain places that you do. Because satisfied customers always endorse the product. And when you are satisfied in your life in Christ, don't you understand, you can't help but be gospel-obsessed. You see, we're different to make a difference. And, and here's what I hope that you would want for this church as we continue to unpack this story is this, a help up, not a push down. A help up, not a push down. You do realize that no man is an island. There is nobody who is watching, listening to this, who has gotten to where you are in life by yourself. Somebody has helped you. When I look back at all the people who have helped me throughout the years, uh, whether it be go back to my parents, whether it go back to some um, early mentors in my life, whether it be teachers, coaches, whoever that was. There's always been people, even to this day, as a pastor who's been in full-time ministry for 25 years, I have, a, I have a performance coach because I know I need some help. And, and so it says right here about this man in verse 7, it says, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. You know, I'm just going to be blunt with you. I, 
I'm, I'm probably one of these few men that will just readily admit I don't know stuff. Here's what I mean by that. Um, if you're traveling with me, and now that we have GPS, it's wonderful, but for some reason that doesn't work, I will stop and I will ask for directions. Okay, I really will. Why? I don't want to waste time. I, I know this about me. I am not mechanical, okay? I cannot fix anything that is broken, really and truly. Uh, now, YouTube has helped me some, but I will tell you, as a, as a rule, I, I just know if it breaks, the greatest gift God's given me is a cell phone, okay? <clears throat> and the greatest number God's put in my cell phone is a guy in our church named Craig Watson. I love Craig Watson because Craig Watson can fix anything, anything Craig Watson can fix. And my conversations with Craig are usually like this. I just re call him up and be like, hey, Craig, what's going on? And I was like, uh, well, I was, I was like, hey, you know the hangy downy thing on the do, on the doohickey on the what? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you know, I, it's on my, uh, it, it's on my microwave or it's on my, it's on my air kit. It's whatever it is. And you know what Craig does? Craig just come over and Craig just look at it and go, okay, here's what's wrong. Here's what we got to do to fix it. You see, here's what I know. I know that I need help. You know why people don't get well? Because they won't take help. They won't take help. This is a very key point in this whole thing. Because some of you watching, right, the only way that you are ever going to get well is if you ask for help. Because some of you, you, um, you, you got a marriage that's just about to go away. Some of you, you've been struggling with the same financial issues you have forever. Uh, some of you, you still find yourself caught in that addiction. And the reason why you don't ever change is because you don't ever ask for help. Notice this. This man, after Peter says, hey, uh, uh, rise up in the name of Jesus, verse 7, it says, And he took him by his right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, let me tell you why this is so significant. Because this man was a beggar. He was rattling his cage. Now, here's what you may or may not know about the Middle East. In the Middle East, the right hand is the business hand. The left hand is the hand that you clean yourself with. So I'll just put it delicately. And so no one ever extended their left hand because this was the hand that people just knew universally it was going to be, it was dirty. This was the hand that you shook hands with. This is the hand that you fed yourself with. This was the hand. So this would have been the hand that this beggar had this cup and he's rattling the cup and he's saying, alms for the poor, arms for the poor. Hey, can you guys help us? And Peter says, look at us. We don't got much silver or gold we don't have. And then he says, but what I do have, I'll give you. And he heals him. He's going to give him the gospel. But here's what the man had to do before he could receive the help. It's in his right hand. He had to put down the cup. He had to put down the thing he was dependent upon. Put that down to take the help. And there's some of you that you got to put whatever it is you're holding down so that you can get the help. Some of you, you're going to have to get out of that relationship before you can get the help. Some of you, man, you're, you're going to have to change uh, your viewing habits to get the help. Some of you, you're going to have to reorient your life to get the help. Because here's what's fascinating. You know why some people stay in misery as beggars for so long. See, this man's life, for, for probably 40 years, this man had been an invalid. 40 years. And whenever your life has not changed in 40 years, you know what you quit doing? You quit even praying big prayers anymore. 
because you don't think nothing's going to change. And so instead of, because what did the man really need? Did he really need money? No, he needed to walk. And so whenever, you know, Peter asked, you know, basically, how can I help you? Instead of saying, I want to walk, what he says is, hey, I'll just handle, just give me a little bit of money so I can get through the day. There's some people that they don't really want to change. They just want a little bit of grace or a little bit of mercy just to keep eking it out in their current situation. Friend, it's time to put down the cup and it's time that you uh, ex experience the help up and not the push down. We need to be a people that will never push people down, but we will hold people up. You know, if you're local in our area, I'll just tell you this, we have some great ministries. We have some great ministries as you put the cup down and you extend your hand for help. We have things like Marriage Mentors, great ministry here, help, has helped restored families. Uh, we have Beacon Counseling. Uh, we have a, a ministry called Grief Share that would be wonderful for some of you that have experienced loss, especially through COVID. And, and, and finally, we have a great ministry called Divorce Care. Some of you have gone through the pain of that. You're going through the pain of that. Why would you want to beg just to get through today whenever you can walk again? You see, finally, different to make a difference. I hope that you want this last thing more than anything. I hope this, that, that you want to be a people that celebrates much and often. You know, when I think about this, I think about my, my young son. Now he's 21 years old. He looks like Thor, literally his hair's out, and he's just big, he's ripped. The kid's got muscles in places. I'm pretty sure I don't even have places. And, but he's a little bitty boy, probably two, maybe three. We went to Disney World for the very first time. And, you know, when you take a little kid to Disney World, it's so great because, you know, at that point, they really think, like, it's all real, you know? Like, they, they, they think that, that the that cars talk, and they think that, you know, these Gaston is a real guy. And, I mean, it, it's just, it's awesome to go there. And I'll never forget, it was one of the last nights we were there, and we were there at the Magic Kingdom, and we were, in, we were looking at the castle right there in the middle. And they're doing the big fireworks show. And I look back at my little boy, and he's in his stroller, and there he is, and, and he was holding on because he loved Thomas the Tank Engine. He's got his two little Thomas the Tank Engines in his hand, and he's looking, and it's late, and he's been sweaty, and he's been a little bit grumpy because it's getting late. And I mean, it's like parks are about to close. And all of a sudden... The fireworks go off, and he just starts shaking. He goes, I love this. I love this. I love this. And I thought, that right there is pure exuberation, pure celebration. And I will just say this. You and I need to be people that celebrate much and often. You see, man, the church ought to be the most festive place there is. Why? Because we see people go from death into life. We see people go from old into new we see what was hopeless has become hopeful. I mean, this is the best place in the world to be. Why? Because Jesus is here, God's on his throne, and he can do things in and through the power of his spirit. That's why it says, I love how this ends, and leaping up, he stood and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Guy hadn't walked, had never walked, 40 years, never walked. And I mean, he is jumping, he is excited, he is leaping, he is praising God for what God has done in his life. And then look at this, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were all filled with wonder 
and amazement at what had happened to him. You know what, friend? That ought to be our story every week. We ought to leave here and go, hey, you know, maybe God didn't, maybe, maybe it wasn't a home run week for you. But man, we rejoice because we saw that other person. And we rejoice because we saw that life change and because we saw that relationship restored, because we saw just this depression go away from someone, this anxiety be eradicated from them. Like, we should be people of great celebration. I'm going to tell you, if we'll do that, oh my word, God will be glorified and you'll be satisfied. And I'm just going to tell you something, the world will be changed and different. You know, in the Revolutionary War, um, George Washington in his Revolutionary Army, uh, you've, you've seen that great painting of there, the crossing of the Potomac. What you may not realize is that happened there on Christmas Eve. And um, so George Washington is there with his troops. And, and here's the other kind of unknown part of history that his troops were really at the end of their enlistment. So a lot of them could just go back home. And George Washington knew that something was gonna to have to give. Like they were about to lose the war to the British. And something had to, had to give. Well, there was a writer by the name of Thomas Paine and he wrote this pamphlet. And he, George Washington, had that pamphlet distributed throughout the entire Revolutionary Army. And he said, please make sure you read this. Told his commanders, make sure your men read this. Make sure your men read this. But there was one particular phrase he wanted these men to read. And it was this, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. You know, what does that have to do with anything? Let me, let me tell you, the, the words have never been more true. These are the times that try men's souls. You and I live in a day and time when people are being tried, people are agitated, people have been, they're weary, they feel hopeless. And I would even argue that's why we've lost so many Christians through the course of COVID-19, they've never come back because they, they just have resigned themselves. This is just the way it's gonna be. But it says this, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier, which when you're a summer soldier, it means things are pretty good. It's in the winter when it's cold, when it's really hard. And the sunshine patriot, when things are great, those people, they all come out. They, you know, everybody shows up certain times of the year in the church, they just do. But it says this, that there are these others that even in the midst of the crisis, they don't shrink back. And it says, and they are the ones who deserve the love and the thanks of man and women. Don't you realize something? If you don't take anything out of this series, the church is the hope of the world. And I want you to hear me, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. We have seen across the world the outrage that has happened with some of our American citizens who have been left in Afghanistan. And in the same, left behind enemy lines. And in the same way, I want you to know something, church, we have people all around us that are trapped behind enemy lines. And it's your job and it's my job to be the church that will rescue them and help them know who our great God is. You see, we are different to make a difference. And friend, if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with Christ, I hope you'll reach out to us at fbw.church. Somebody on our staff team will reach out to you. If you uh, are online uh, during one of our weekend broadcasts, someone would love to chat with you there in the chat box. 
I want to speak a blessing over you, though, as we depart. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us, and I pray that in Jesus' name that you would help us to be people that are different to make a difference. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.